The Knickerbockers came back to win an absolute banger over the Bulls Monday night in Madison Square Garden, finally getting into the win column. We break down what's known as the Bobby Porter's game and the Knicks 1-3 start with our New York Post-Knicks beat writer Mark Berman. We will also be joined by Knicks legend, fan favorite, goon aficionado, and chef, the legendary great Charles Oakley. All that and more next on Big Apple Buckets with the New York Post. Welcome, welcome, welcome to Big Apple Buckets, a New York Post, New York Knicks podcast. I'm your host, Kazim Famiwide, but you can call me Kaz. That's what everybody else calls me, so, you know, I feel like we family now. So, I second week doing this. I feel like we all good now, so, you know, you call me whatever you want. We'll be coming at you once every week, breaking down your Knicks, the Post, Knicks beat writer Mark Berman, and our NBA writers will join us each and every week. We'll also have current and former players along with celebrity Knicks fans along the way as we bring you the best New York Knicks content out there. So what more can you want, man? But what you can do is follow me on Twitter and Instagram at Kazim. That's K-A-Z-E-E-M. So uh, let's get this party started, man. Let's get to it. You know, the Knicks looked pretty bad last night. To be fair, they've looked pretty bad in most games starting the season off. But that was up until last night in the fourth quarter when the Bobby Portis moment happened. That's right. I love me a good revenge game. I love when somebody goes against their former team and plays out of their mind, and especially when you can do it in the garden. It always makes for a special moment, and last night is exactly what happened when Bobby Portis absolutely went off, hitting three after three, demanding the ball, got the crazy eyes going, the crowd hype. The garden was absolutely rocking last night as the Knicks got their first win over the Chicago Bulls in an absolute thriller. Ending the game on a 15-0 run. Uh, at one point, with about three minutes left in the game, the Knicks were down 98-90. to uh, There was a sequence right there when uh, Julius Randle got the ball ripped from him, and then Laurie Markkinen hit a deep three that could have been a four-point play that uh, was sort of typical of how the Knicks have started the season, making these big runs and then eventually just kind of like phasing out and losing at the end. And once that play happened, we all kind of felt – all right, here we go again. Knicks going on four. All these questions have been asked about the point guard situation and Fizdale and RJ and Randall and all these other things. But Bobby Porter said, not today. He ended the game with 28 points, going four for four from downtown, 11 rebounds, two blocks, and a massive plus 31 plus minus percentage when he got on the court. And I know a lot of people may not know what plus minus is, but a plus 31 is pretty damn good. Uh, Bobby Portis, who played for the Bulls last year, um, it's very well storied what happened with him and Nikola Miritic and the fight and, you know, everything that happened with that suspension and, you know, eventually leaving to go to the uh, Washington Wizards. Uh, through no fault of his own, uh, if you watched the game on MSG Network last night, they kept talking about how coaching staff loves him and loved his work ethic and loved the chip on the shoulder and how much energy that he always plays with. And the Knicks got a absolute taste of that last night. And what many people are saying was Bobby Portis' best game as a professional. You know, like it's not like he was a scrub anywhere else. He averaged 15 points a game for the Bulls and the Wizards, respectively, last year. But he absolutely went off last night, man. He was the stud of the night. Um, without the run that he made uh, in the fourth quarter, 
I don't think the Knicks win that game, man. And and props to Dave Fisdale. I know he's been into a lot of uh, – he's getting a lot of scrutiny this year. A lot of people are talking a lot of mess about him. But he made some key changes in the middle of that game when Julius Randle, instead of just barreling through to the post – uh, was kicking it out and getting it to open shooters. Kevin Knox knocking down open threes. Bobby Portis hitting open threes. People moving the ball. And I feel like that was a lot of, uh, you know, there was a lot of that going on in the first couple of games of the season, you know. Uh, a lot of hero ball, a lot of ball stopping. But the ball was moving, and it was all because of Bobby Portis. Another one, another standout game for my man R.J. Barrett, the rookie out of Duke University, got his first double-double, 19 points, 15 rebounds, dominated the glass, and Re- Julius Randle, even though he has had his struggles throughout the season, stuffed the sat sheets as well. But that's enough about me, man. Let's get to my man. And joining us live. From Orlando, Florida, fresh off the plane, fresh out the cab, back into the hotel room, right after the Knicks victory, is my man Mark Berman of the New York Post. How you feeling, Mark? Hey, doing great, Kaz. Thanks for having me on again. Of course, anytime, anytime. Now, the Knicks finally got off the snide, got off the pavement, picked themselves off the ground, got their first win of the season last night in an electric atmosphere in Madison Square Garden and what people are calling the Bobby Porter's game right now uh take us a little bit into the uh that atmosphere after the game how was the how was the atmosphere in the Knicks locker room with Portis and and Randall and Barrett and and Fisdale what's what's the atmosphere like after the Knicks getting their first huge one of the season I think it was more relief uh the atmosphere in the garden was just incredible those final few minutes it was so loud sounds like a playoff game and, yeah, listen, the Knicks had not won at the Garden uh, dating to preseason. They lost all three preseason games there, and then they lost the horrible home opener where the fans were very surly. But uh, Bobby Portis was delighted. He had a, a slow start to his Knicks career, and he just lit it up from the get-go. It wasn't just the fourth quarter. He uh, was hitting shots early in the game. I think he was a plus 36 for the game, and – Mitchell Robinson, who is the starting center, uh, was like a minus 28. But, uh, you know, they'll keep that lineup with Mitchell as a starter. But Bobby Porter shows how much talent he has. Now, you said it, man. Like, he was a plus th- – he was 30-plus in the in the start, when the, in the lineup, and uh, Mitch Robinson was a negative 20. And the big story about this Knicks team so far has been the inconsistent play, like the the getting down by 18, getting down by 19. Obviously, there was the aberration against Boston in the home opener. Um, do you think is there any possible shakeup coming to the starting lineup coming soon? Well, Hayden did get uh, hurt uh, in the game last night. I, he he strained a hamstring. So can Frank Nilakina? make his first start of the season at point guard. He didn't shoot the ball well at all uh, in the victory. In fact, 0 of 6, but Fizdale claimed he was still delighted with his organizing the offense, uh, with the way he played gritty defense. So we'll see how Payton's health is. I don't expect Dennis Smith Jr., unfortunately and tragically, uh, to be on this road trip, Orlando and Boston, he lost uh, he, his his stepmother passed away and uh, he was very close, obviously. So uh, the point guard situation still up in the air in the first half against the Bulls, Hayden and Nilakina combined for zero points. Yikes. Uh, that That's that's rough. But like you said, there was a lot of positives to take away outside of the shooting, you know, Nilakina 
playing lots of defense, turning off the faucet on Zach Levine last night, which I think was huge. He looked like he was getting ready to have another huge game. And when it came to the fourth quarter, he couldn't get near the rim. Um, Speaking of closing out games, you know, Fisdale's been under a lot of scrutiny for a lot of iso ball that happens towards the fourth quarter when there was not a whole lot of ball movement. But that seemed to change last night when uh, Julius Randle was getting these great looks to the baseline to get Bobby Porter's open shots, Kevin Knox open shots, even Frank Nielakini, even though he wasn't hitting them. Um, do you think that the, the Knicks might have turned a corner as far as starting to trust each other and playing with each other towards the end of the game? Yeah, it was a big development with Julius. Uh, he still has 19 turnovers in the last three games, uh, eight last night. But as you said, Kaz, he started to move the ball a little more, found Paul Portis a couple of times. He said before the game, I, I haven't faced this type of double teaming uh, since you know college, since Kentucky. So he's adjusting to it. And the coaching staff is all over him. Uh, trying to make sure that he's not dribbling the ball into traffic as he has, and he showed progress in the fourth quarter. He's still a double-double machine. He's just got to cut down on the turnovers, move the ball. That isolation-heavy offense really is Randall to blame for a lot of it. So, listen, they're 1-3 and three right now. Uh, they've lost three games that they were kind of underdogs going in. Uh, and they've won the game they were supposed to. So I know Nick fans were panicking after 0-3, but there are developments that are happening that, you know, are positive. Now, speaking of positive developments, throughout all those games, there have been one constant that people have been noticing, and that's been the play of the 19-year-old rookie R.J. Barrett. Uh, Claude Frazier told us on our debut show that he would wait 15 to 20 games to give Barrett time at the point guard, and uh, he needs to master the shooting guard position, even though Fisdale kind of threw him out there as a point guard for the first game. And he's looked excellent. He's putting up numbers comparable to LeBron James's career start and Kevin Durant's career start. Um, what have been your thoughts on R.J. Barrett, and what have you seen from him as far as his teammates are concerned and starting to trust him to be that stud of a player that uh, people have been noticing? Yeah, Kaz, when we last spoke, we weren't even really talking about Barrett as a potential point guard starter. Uh, it looked like Fisdale was looking at his three traditional point guards, and he threw a curveball with Barrett at the point, and it did not work in the opener. And I think that experiment is off for now. Barrett has been terrific at the shooting guard. He's getting to the basket – you know, I don't even know how he does. He's just he's so strong, Kaz. He's got a body of a 25-year-old. That's the type of strength he has, and he's muscling his way to the rim. He's ferocious. When he misses a shot inside, he'll get the offensive rebound. He had 15 rebounds against the Bulls, six of them on the offensive glass. Uh, and his shot from three-point range, which has been non-existent uh, at Duke and also – uh, in the summer league, he's he's hitting his three-point shots. So just a terrific start to the year. Again, uh, probably the top uh, rookie of the year candidate, him, Morant. Uh, I think they may battle unless Zion is going to be healthy this season. So it's been a terrific start to the year. His free throw shooting has not been good. Uh, and he has turned the ball over a little bit. But this guy's 19 years old playing major minutes. I'm just hoping he doesn't hit the rookie wall sooner than later. 
usually the rookie wall you don't get till January, but Fisdale is rolling out the minutes for him. Yeah, I mean, you, you said it. He's 19 years old. And just to compare, just looking at, you know, Frank Nielakino when he was 19 playing for the Knicks. And even last year, Kevin Knox, he, you know, he, he seemed like he was a boy playing a man's game. But you see R.J. Barrett going in there and just absolutely muscling, not just pro players, but he's going up against the DeRozans of the world, the Irvings of the world, the Carice Leverts, the Zach Levines, these, you know, borderline all-star and all-star players. Speaking of, um, you know, the young guys – a guy who's really impressed so far as well has been Kevin Knox coming off the bench. He's been, you know, pretty smooth with his jump shot. He looks very much improved and a lot more confident getting to the rim. Um, and he's, to my, in my opinion, I think he's outplayed Marcus Morris these first couple of games. What have you saw out of Kevin Knox that is making him take this jump from his rookie year to his sophomore year? Yeah, you know, I, I just wrote, Kaz, that I would be surprised come December if Kevin Knox does not win that small forward job from Marcus, who has been in a little bit of an offensive slump. But, yeah, the scrutiny is all for the rookies, right? It's always about R.J. Barrett, the third pick in the draft. So Kevin has flown under the radar, yet has played so efficiently. He's shooting better than 50% from three-point range. Uh, he's getting to the basket. He's he, he said the other night it's his shot selection that is a lot better. He's not forcing as many uh, shots up. And in the limited minutes, you know, he's just being more efficient than he was as a rookie, which was kind of a roller coaster. So another great sign. Again, they're one in three, but you could really look at a lot of positive developments that are happening with this club. Yeah, I mean uh- – there are a few bounces away from being a three and one team outside of the debacle on the whole on the opening night, which, you know, could be attributed to a lot of things. And, you know, maybe in hindsight, looking at what's going through with Dennis Smith Jr., maybe that was something on his mind in addition to the injury. We may never know the real truth behind that. But I got one more question for you, Mark. Um, you know, there's been a lot of Nick favorites that haven't really seen as much playing time in the end of the season, the end of this game. Um, guys like Alonzo Trier, who didn't get off the pine last night. Guys like Damian Dotson. Um, Wayne Ellington's been used sparingly, but every time he's been in, he's hit big shots for these Knicks. Which one of these guys do you see starting to work their way into the rotation as a consistent contributor for these Knicks? That's a great question, Kaz, and you didn't even mention their second-round pick, Zach uh, Ignis Brzezikas, who has not played a second yet, not even garbage time. So, uh, listen, Damian Dotson missed a lot of training camp with that sore shoulder. He was their starting shooting guard uh, after the Tim Hardaway Jr. trade. But Ellington has looked good. They need three-point shooting. He's He's been a good three-point shooter so far. I I think that Fisdale is going to roll sort of with the same rotation uh, going into Orlando as he had against the Bulls since they won the game. But you're right, uh, Trier, a DNP, good sign. He gave a nice tweet after the game. Great win. The garden was rocking. You know, I've reported that Trier has been a little frustrated with his role early in preseason. So it's about staying together, you know, while these guys are out of the rotation uh, it, it is Fisdale's biggest challenge, and as long as the team wins enough games, I think he could keep that camaraderie going. I think one of Fisdale's strongest points is his leadership and motivating guys, and you saw that last season. I thought he d- did a good job of, of keeping the team together, and they didn't really fracture uh, off the court. 
and that's going to be the challenge again with Dotson not in the rotation and Trier fighting for minutes, Ellington not getting as many minutes as maybe he thought he would get. So uh, there's a lot of decisions every game uh, for Fisdale. And then we didn't mention Frank, who was out of the picture uh, until the Chicago game. Mark, I know you, you just flew into Orlando, get you some rest legend. Uh, make sure to follow him on Twitter at NYPost underscore Berman. Check out his stories in the paper, online at NewYorkPost.com. Uh, the Knicks got a day off in practice today, and you probably should take a day off as well. So yeah, get some rest, like man. It's 90 degrees here, so I think I'll uh, enjoy some of the weather. Oh, w- w- way to rub it in, all right? It's a little chilly out here <laughs> in New York City, so go and enjoy Orlando. And uh, we'll catch you next week on Big Apple Buckets, man. Have a good one. All right, thanks a lot. Knicks fans, my special guest today doesn't need an introduction, but I'm going to give him one anyway. He's one of the most legendary Knicks players of all time. He is a 1994 NBA All-Star. He was all-defensive first team in 1994, all-defensive second team in 1998, all-rookie team in 1986, and my, my God, he just set the tone for these 90s Knicks. When you think of 90s toughness with this team, you think of one man and one man only. My man, Charles Oakley, welcome to Big Apple Buckets, man. How you feeling? I'm good. What's going on? I'm living, man. I'm living. Can't complain. That's Can't good. complain, yeah, brother. Now, I'm, 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 I'm on a high right now, man. The Knicks, did, you, did you catch the Knicks game last night? Did you see it? I saw a lot of it, uh, you know, bits and pieces. I didn't see the whole thing, but I saw, um, you know, they started off at the gate, but um, they fought back and... You know, that's a sign, that's a good sign of a young team trying to find their identity. Um, you know, they didn't give in, they could have gave in, they fought it out. Yeah, I mean, you know, one thing about this Knicks team and, and the way that they've been trying to establish their identity this year kind of draws back to you. They all want to bring back the 90s Knicks toughness. They want to bring back, you know, uh, the guard to be in a place that you want to come play at because, you know, it's going to be a hard win. Um, how do you feel when, you know, so many players, especially on this audiation of the Knicks, kind of refer to you and your teammates and the Anthony Masons of the world and the Patrick Ewings of the world about that, that you know, toughness of that 90s Knicks team? Uh, I mean, if you feel, you, you know, you're trying to put a blueprint on something, you, you know, you got to do it. Get a win game, first of all. Uh, you know, they've been playing tough, I think. The Brooklyn game, they had a chance to win, uh, you know, like last night. You know, they fall back down like they was in Brooklyn. But uh, I think just go out and play basketball, let the fans determine what style of ball you play with your, with your IQ or watching the game. I think that, uh, you know, when they get a, when they get a solid seven, eight guy rotation, that'll, that'll play out a lot more too because I, I think right now, you know, guys really don't understand when they're going to play, how, you know, what time of game, gonna, how many minutes they're going to play. So, when you start getting consistent with the minutes and the flow of the guys on the court together, that they mean a lot. And so you know what you can do, what you can't do, and and that's how you come together as a team. Now, being an NBA player, obviously, I'm sure you've been in that situation where, you know, you're not really sure when to play or you're in a situation where teams are starting to gel together. After a win like last night, when the Knicks are down 18 and they start fighting, and especially a guy like Bobby Portis, who's got a little bit of the crazy eyes and a little bit of the toughness that you kind of exhibited in the in your Knicks uniform, what kind of uh, momentum can that bring to a team that's just starting to kind of find each other? Well, I mean, you know, Bobby Portis, you know, when they drafted in Chicago, uh, I knew a couple of coaches and scouts. And they like his demeanor. He's in, uh, I think, Arizona. Where he went to school at? Um, uh, University but, uh, of Arkansas. He, Arkansas. I mean, I know it was a 
<laughs> but uh, I think that uh, he he got something. I mean, you know, it's just not tough. You got to play smart, and you know, like I said, you got to get a feel for your guys. But I knew that he's gonna come out and ball last night because you know, ex, you know, he played with the Bulls. And they trade him to Washington night with the Knicks. But uh, you gotta bring that every night, not just when you play the Bulls. That's what I'm saying. Once you get the consistent down, the flow of playing with some steady guys on the court. When you know I'm gonna play so many minutes with this guy, so many minutes with that guy. But they still learning. Uh, like I said, they still learning. And um, you know, as long as you get a win, you know, it's, you don't want to go oh four, oh five, oh six. I mean, then other things start to sneak into the trying to get chemistry because everybody's like, well, I can do it. I can do it. But it's got to be a team effort every night. And R.J. Barrett, he's been, he's been balling out. Now, speaking of R.J. Barrett, I mean, and just the team overall, it kind of feels like this team has some pieces. You said they got something there, but they kind of got to put it together. And a lot of play people, including myself, think it kind of falls on Fisdale to kind of earn his money this season and be, you know, the guy who kind of steers this ship. What have you seen so far um, as far as his coaching ability that um, you may have been impressed with, not impressed with? Uh, what are your thoughts on Fisdale thus far and the job he's done? Well, you know, I mean, you only can work with what you got. And once, you know, uh, last year you won 17 games. So this year's goal should be, you know, try to double that. Uh, basically, just try to get more acquainted with your guys on your team. Just learn them and get, get trust in them and go from there and do this and do that. Completely understood. Um, you spoke about the Brooklyn Nets before and about almost uh, winning that game a few nights ago. And, uh, you know, obviously the Knicks didn't get the big, huge free agent signings. And Kevin Durant made a lot of noise when he went on Hot 97 and said, uh, you know, the the Knicks aren't cool. You know what I mean? Like, not saying he didn't think the Knicks are cool, but kids don't grow up seeing the Knicks being successful, so it's not like the cool thing to do. What are your thoughts on that and the current state of the Knicks franchise and how people see it from the outside looking in? I mean, you know, every, like you know, Charles Barkley said, whatever he want on TV, Kevin, this guy got championship rings. You know, you know, he left OKC to go to another team to get him. People can say what they want to say. I mean, when you got to take a person, when someone says something about him, and when you see him, you know, you maybe don't look at him and shake their hand on the court. Stop being fan if people talk about you. So when someone's trying, you feel like someone's throwing you in the bus or something. I mean, hey, you got to get attitude and. Have attitude at all times, but people gonna say what they want to say. I mean, but you got, but you got to prove them wrong. When you prove them wrong, that's better. So until you prove them wrong, they got a point. Yes, sir. Um, now the Knicks, obviously, they they've been talking about bringing back bully ball. And uh, when you ask Knicks fans, you know, you take a straw poll, they don't necessarily name the all stars. They don't necessarily say, oh. Patrick Ewing days, John Starks days. They name the Anthony Mason days, God rest his soul. They name, you know, Charles Oakley. Like, how do you feel about being one of the more influential players in the city, you know, despite not having – you didn't put up the all-star numbers. You weren't, like, one of those guys. But just the influence, you know what I mean, the influence that you've had on basketball and just bringing ruggedness and toughness to the game. How does that feel being one of those guys that is known for, you know, bringing bully ball to the Knicks? Well, one thing about New York, you can't fool the fans for so long. And you got to come with it every day, like punching the clock. And you go to work, you go to do your best job for them eight hours, 12 hours, 16 hours. And I think when the fans come to a game or something, they look for you be smart, play, play, uh, play your role, know your role. And they want to see, you know, can you make a difference on the court? When you make a difference on the court 
and do what you're supposed to do. It's hard for someone to ride you because you're doing your best. When you can't, you out there and fans can see you just lost and you can't get it, that's a big difference. So they know if you can bring some and you got some. And that's what the coaching staff have doing all the time. When I put these guys out on the court, and this is New York, I'm, they expect to get something out of you. When you go in the game, it ain't nothing but four or five, loose ball, a charge, a, a steal, block shot. You got to do something. Just don't be out there looking pretty. This ain't New York. You got to <laughs> come with something to get something. Now, and, and, and that's the one thing I say about Knicks fans all the time and why the Garden is such a special place because – you know, you go to a regular NBA game, and it's easy to cheer for the dunks and the three-pointers and stuff like that. You go to the Garden, you you create, you know, you become kind of like a, a folk hero if you're the guy who dives in those loose balls that gets those deflections, that makes those hustle plays because it's a very smart basketball crowd. So, in your opinion, as far as these these uh, power forwards at the Knicks sign, between the Julius Randles, the Bobby Portises, you know, even the Mitchell Robinsons, the, the big men of the New York Knicks, Who's impressed you the most? And, uh, you know, what do you just think of this current group of, of Knicks? Well, I, I mean, I got to see them play together more. I mean, we just, you know, you got three or four new guys or other guys on one-year contracts. I don't think that's good because, you know, you got to be the future. You got to get going to sign them, lock them up, and you build chemistry. You don't build chemistry on giving guys one-year deals because they're going to go out and play selfish. But I think you just got – I got to see more. Um they got to, you know, come out and show the fan more. Um, you know, everybody wanna make the playoff. That's their goal. And no matter what they did last year, your goal the next year is to make the playoff. And once you make the playoff, you can build from there. Now, speaking of people that you, you had need to see more of, in an early sample size, RJ Barrett has looked like, you know, he he's he's looked the part. He's looked like the guy that that looks like the gleaming beacon of hope for the New York Knicks. He's leading the team in scoring. He's averaging 20 a game. He's done pretty much all you can ask of out of a 19-year-old right now. What have been your initial thoughts on RJ and his start for his NBA career? I thought he embraced that early this summer when he said, you know, what he's going to come out and bring to the city, how he want to put the city on his back, and uh, the best way to do it, hey, come out and do it. And, you know, he's been doing it so far. Hope it continue. Uh, he's still young. Um, he just got to realize that, you know, you got to bring it every night. It's not a one, one, one trick pony in New York. And, you know, 82 games, a long season. But uh, you got to give him a lot of praise right now because he's doing it. The team is one and three. And hopefully he can he can keep finding ways and get his game better and the other guys keep gelling with him. That's the key. Can the other guys gel with him because he's a younger guy. He ain't got no NBA experience as some other guys do. So hope Randall, him and Randall can just take over. They can, they can be a two-man duel in ease. Switching gears just a little bit. Um, news broke out last night that Nick's GM, Al Bianchi, passed away. Uh, he's the GM that traded for you from the Chicago Bulls. Traded, uh, you know, picked up John Stark, picked up Rod Strickland. Pretty much, uh, you know, one of the architects of that legendary 90s Knicks team that you were a part of. Do you have any, um, you know, great memories that you have with, with uh, Bianchi? Uh, no, just, you know, my condolences go out to him, his family, and, uh, you know, I be able to come to New York and play basketball, you know, it was it was great for me, and I'm just glad he thought of me uh, coming to make a trade for me. And, uh, and I, I hope I live up to him, you know, bring me to New York and, and do my job night in, night out. But, um, 
you know, I think I had a great time in New York. So I just I give him a lot of credit for bringing me to New York, and you know, I'm gonna try to definitely make the service. You know, when they, when I get the date and time. That's good to hear, man. That's good to hear. Um, now switching back to to the current game, clearly. You know, the NBA is a lot different than, you know, when you were in there. And uh, it, it's pretty hard to have a player like yourself in the current NBA. But if there's anybody out there that you could see that, you know, if I was playing with these rules and no hand checking and no, you know, you could, can't just close line people when they go into the rack. What current NBA player do you see out there that you think kind of reminds you of your game if you were playing right now in 2019? Uh... Well, that's a tough question. Uh, good question. I don't know. I don't look at it like that. Everybody got their own style. You know, like Mike said, boxing style makes fights. But I think, you know, when, you know, in my era, you were saying Dennis Rodman or uh, Ben Wallace or these guys like that, I was just different. I mean, Dennis was a defense rebounder. Ben was more of a defense. I could shoot the jumpers. I could make free throws. I could shoot the, you know. So I was a, not the regular power forward, but I was a tough power forward. I just swung the force. I mean, my thing is, I didn't kind of like compare myself to these guys. It's just I don't know. Bobby Porter got a little of me, and um, but he's a shooter. He's more of a shooter. He's more of a scorer than me. So and, um, I just play, try to go out, just give what my team needed every night. Effort, a lot of hard work, and close the middle, and um, play good defense. So when the points came, it just came. But I couldn't make my free throws. That's one thing I could do: make my free throws, hit the little jump shot. My thing when to go out and look for numbers. My thing was to go out and set the tempo. Understood, man. And you set a lot of tempo for that for that garden floor, man. People loved watching you play. People loved the toughness that you brought. You're one of the most beloved Knicks in in franchise history. Left up to you, you know, I'm giving you a blank slate, right out a dream scenario. What would getting your jersey retired in Madison Square Garden mean to you and your career? Well, I mean, some things you got to go by the book. It's a lot of legendaries came before me, played in the, uh, you know, a place Bernard King, even though I don't see eye to eye too much with him. I think his jersey should be the next one hanging from the Raptors. From there, this might be a lot of toss up. But I'm not saying I didn't play the game for that. I mean, that, I know it's, that's a big decision, whoever make it. But uh, I just let them know that whenever you go in the garden, there's never me dad on the floor for loose ball. I think that's just important my jersey hanging from the Raptors. Now, Charles, you're you're one of the most beloved Knicks, you know, in history. You know what I'm saying? Like, just people just love you. Is there any scenario, is there a dream place where, you know, you come back to the Garden? Give me a dream scenario where you're back in MSG. Dream yeah. And any just uh, you just write it out. Like, you know, you got you got the pen in your hand, it's a it's a blank sheet of paper. You can write out the scenario where you get that warm garden reception. Uh, it just, you know. I get it every day. I walk around New York City. I'm in the city a lot. I do a lot of things. But I just, I'm just, I'm just in thankful that the fans who love me had my back. You know, not because you know I just play ball, had my back because I'm a person, a person believing morals and standards and things. You know, in structural life. But for me to come back in the garden, uh, we have to wait and see. You know, we still got some things that need to be worked out. I'm willing to always work stuff out because I'm that type of guy. But uh, I don't know. You know, the, the door is open, but I, you know. And some, sometimes the door's open to me, there's no mean you can come in. So I have to wait and see. Understood, man. But we, we 
as a per as somebody who's watched you for your whole career, I'd love to see that one day. And I'm sure yeah. a lot of people yeah. agree with me. Um, yeah. The Charles Oakley Foundation. Let's talk about it, man. You do a lot of work in the community. You do a lot yeah. of work with children, man. Let's talk about that. How's right. the Charles Oakley Foundation? Going something on? I've been doing for a lot of my life: uh, doing camps, clinics, uh, benefits, going running back down the house, uh, stuff that people can't come out to see. You go to them. I've been doing cooking events, cooking experiments for the Oakley in the kitchen. I'm heading off, um, just doing a lot of giving back, and I think that's the most important thing. And I don't talk about it, you know, we don't do a lot of publicizing, and we just go and do it. Uh, we just did Skip Row the last three years. Every year we go to LA Skip Row, we cook for like 800 people, me and a couple of chefs. I'm gonna bring it to Manhattan and do it, you know, go down to the lower of Manhattan for the shelters and stuff like that, and try to give back for the holidays. Just, just showing love through the cities, and you know, just showing people love. Now, we had Walt Clyde Frazier here last week, and, you know, he loves plugging Clyde's wine and dine. So if y'all, t- I mean, I know he gets down in the kitchen, you get down in the kitchen. If y'all had, like, a top chef I really get down. Some people just the- go past the kitchen. Go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> no, I go, I go to wine and dine. I go, I go to at least twice a month. Show love to legends. So he, he, I don't think he was no problem. You know, he's he's a legend no on the court. I think I'm, a, I think I'm, hey, I think I'm the legend in the kitchen because I, I really that's what I do. You try to get, get your Bobby Flay on and get your uh, um, <laughs> top and, shot. And uh, we need to go. I got um, the hot shot smokers grill that came out last year. Yeah. So we we, we uh, got that out and um, got a cookbook coming out. So there's a lot of stuff in the mix coming out in the next two or three months. What's what's your what's your go to dish? Like what's somebody somebody's go coming? To, I, I'm the go to dish, and whatever you want, I'm gonna make it. Mm. I tell everybody that they say, well, "What you make?" I said, "Well, when I step in the kitchen, step in your house, I'm that dish. I'm that dish you've been thinking about." <laughs> oh man! So Charles, and I know. I know they, uh, they, they need no. One other thing, they need to check out my line. Uh, Oakley in the kitchen. It's a clothing line, so. It's a, it's a new line. I'm coming back out with the car wash line. So everything is coming out in the next two months. Oakley in the Kitchen, man. Oakleyinthekitchen.com. Check out the clothing line. Check out the food. Check out the, all the great things you're doing, feeding the homeless, man. Oakley, sir. Oh, one last question I have, man. You know, clearly, you know, you and Michael Jordan are, are, are friends forever. He made a, a lot of stir uh, earlier in the beginning of the season when he said Stephen Curry isn't a Hall of Famer quite yet. What are your thoughts on on MJ's thoughts on Stephen Curry? I know you guys are real tight. You guys talk a lot. You guys probably go oh, back yeah. and forth we, we, a lot we, of players. We, talk, we talked about that last week. I was at his house. Basically, uh, you know, everybody got the opinion. You know, when you call someone the GOAT, the GOAT got, you know, expressed their feeling more than other people. But, you know, in my book, he's definitely a Hall of Famer. Uh, so what he transitioned for us, the game for shooting the threes and just being a smaller guy, being affected night in, night out, win the championship, two-time MVP. So, uh, you know, I guess same thing you can't say when you're owner about other players. Magic got fined, so I guess he didn't want to get fined, so I guess he wanted to make everybody the head just stand up for a couple of days. <laughs> yeah, on the stand up. <laughs> Man, listen, I would, I would pay top dollar to watch a debate show with you and Michael Jordan just going on, oh, on players. And oh, I think a lot every of- time, no, every time we get together, I mean, it's always something about, you know, yeah, this, yeah, that. And I always tell them, you know, it went for the commission, you wouldn't have six rings because they need, they need a marketing lead. So they had, they had to find a horse to ride like a Turkish every. They had to, <laughs> to rent the, the race to make other things right. So 
But no, he he got great talent. He's a great friend. The flag, we you know, we do have fuse. Now we ain't came to blows yet, but you know, we stand up sometimes. <laughs> Listen, it ain't a true friendship if y'all if y'all ain't squared up at least once yeah. or twice, we, man. We, we just we just ain't gonna play Barkley over there. But you gotta wait under two. <laughs> you gotta wait under two sixes to get in this room, not three hundred. <laughs> Oh man, uh, I was I was I, I could talk to you for hours, man. But I appreciate you no coming doubt. on to Big okay. Apple Buckets. Uh, we'll we'll get you back on the show very soon, and uh, okay. you know, love you, man. Thanks for calling in, brother. Right. And that's a wrap for this episode of Big Apple Buckets, our New York Knicks podcast with the New York Post. Thanks to our producer Jake Brown for making it all happening and for getting me in here because Lord knows if the Knicks would have went down 0-4, I don't know if I would have been able to do this show. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. We'll be bringing you new episodes every Tuesday throughout the rest of the Knicks season. Make sure to subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or any of your preferred podcast platforms. You can find more Knicks news by signing up for our daily New York Post sports newsletter and by visiting NewYorkPost.com. We'll be back next Tuesday, hopefully talking about a few more Knicks victories. Lord knows we could all use it. We'll see you all then. Take it easy.